You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How y'all doing today? Good. Good, let's go. Glad we've had a, you know, like it's always fun because you have uh, what I would describe as... uh, Someone described to me as teething pains earlier, right? And it's so fun because when we're a part of a young church, you're helping build culture and rhythms. And so those moments where it feels like, ah, oh, what are we doing right now? Like those are moments where we're learning uh, and growing. And like it's, it's fun. There's a value to that, uh, that we get to corporately come together uh, and, and kind of know and experience. Even now, uh, I'll be honest with you. The, uh, the internet in this building is down as of about five minutes before the church service started. Let me tell you, that has thrown a lot of things awry for me at this point in time, all right? I'm in front of you. I feel a little bit awry right now. I feel a little spread out, but that's okay, right? That's okay. Uh, because the point of this gathering and this time is not for us to be perfect, but for us to worship the Lord. And right now, uh, we're going to be coming into a time of worshiping uh, the Lord in uh, word. And so actually, Demetri, is my Bible, do you see a black Bible in that second row? My man, all right. I appreciate that. We're going to be d- jumping into, um, thank you, brother, a um, new sermon series today. Uh, it's called Together Again. And really what it's going to be focused on, as I mentioned last week, is us building healthy rhythms in community uh, and in gathering together as community. Now, again, uh, this is going to be the first of three sermon series focused on a few different rhythms, uh, as I mentioned last week. And and these rhythms are critical as we really enter back into uh, a space of kind of normalcy. Okay, as you may or may not have noticed, and I'm here to put you on notice if you haven't noticed, uh, we're slowly kind of getting back into normal. Right? Like, I mean, I said this last week, but look around, there's like people in here and like there's like hardly any masks on and stuff like that right like like slowly it's back to normal and I'm excited with you there's restaurants and and movie theaters open and uh, uh concerts and shows I've had so many advertisement on advertisements on social media They're like hey this show is going to be great you should go and I'm like you're right I should go a hundred percent right I'm excited uh yet As we get back to normal rhythms and that excitement builds, get back to our normal family lives and our normal professional lives and social lives, it can be easy to forget that we're called to spiritual rhythms as well. God's people, uh, spiritual rhythms as God's people that serve our spiritual lives, right? Rhythms that are meant to bring healing to our hearts and to edify our souls and help us draw closer to God and to expand God's kingdom. And here's the thing. If we don't actively concern ourselves with those spiritual rhythms, we will find ourselves thinking that we are striving and that we're moving forward and that we feel good in our professional life and in our social life and in our family lives, when in reality, our spiritual lives are slowly but surely growing weaker and more fragile. I know everybody's waiting to see if I'm going to say something about my son walking by the, walking by the front. I, I'll shout him out, my boy. Um, and one of those spiritual rhythms that we are uh, excited about, that we are getting back into, is the spiritual rhythm of community. 
okay, community and gathering with Christian community, regardless of whether you are Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, or you're not, the reality is uh, community is a powerful idea. Uh, An inspiring article from NPR last year, kind of near the beginning of the pandemic, but just a couple of months after it started, I think a month was June or so, really displayed the power of community. Okay, one of the biggest concerns when the pandemic started, if y'all remember, was the fact that there was a question of what it was going to do to our mental life, right? So to our mental health and our emotional health. There was concerns about depression and loneliness, yet early on, one thing seemed to help scave off, right? Like push off those realities uh, in the midst of everything. And check this out. It was, it was actually community. The article specifically says, as the pandemic shuttered many stores and businesses, neighbors begin to rely on each other more uh, and more, a researcher notes. I was seeing a real outpouring of communities really trying to band together and look out for neighbors and for those who might be most vulnerable, she says, and there was the hope that that would mitigate some of the effects of what was going on. People caring, okay, about one another. People being present uh, and living life and loving one another. That, that really seemed to be a powerful thing in people's lives. It seemed to, like I said, to push off this idea of loneliness and depression that people were concerned about when the pandemic started. And again, this isn't Christian community. This is just a neighborhood. Why? Why is that such a powerful idea? Why is it such a powerful experience? Simply put, friends, we, you and I, from the very origins of our creation, were made to be in community. We were made to be in community. We were made to be together and to build relationships and to care for one another. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of the way God made us. It's why we miss those memories, right? We get real nostalgic around Christmas time. You start to miss those ideas when you were with your family and y'all were unwrapping gifts and you were like, man, those were the good old days, right? You had that sense of community when you didn't really know anybody except mom and dad and you're like, it's my whole world in this room right now. This is great. And then if you didn't have those memories, it's the same reason that you look at people with those memories and you almost feel this sense of like, I wish I had that. Because we were meant, we were made to feel, to be a part of community. It's a part of why FOMO exists, right? You think about what FOMO is. It's the fear of missing out. Yeah, it's a part of the event and the commune and the, the, the experience or whatever. But it's also this sense of like, man, I wish I was there with them right now. If you just see some stranger there at some party, it's not like, I wish I was at that party. It'd be like, well, all right. It's when you see your friends at something. And they didn't invite you, and you're like, I can't believe this, right? Like, that's when the FOMO sets in. I don't care if Tom Brady's the coolest party in the world. I don't know why I picked Tom Brady, but I I don't care if whoever, insert your famous person, is doing something great and cool and fun. I have no plans on ever being there. It's when there was a possibility that I could experience community around that thing, right? That's when I feel that sense of FOMO. Our hearts do well, friends, and we are in community because we were made, hear me, made to be in community. But I want you to take notice of something that I said. And this is a matter of semantics, but that's okay. We were made to be in community, but notice that I did not say we were made for community. We were not made for community, but we were made to be in community. In other words, you might be asking, what's the difference? What do you mean? Community is not an end in and of itself. In other words, community is not our purpose. 
You can have community and still be empty. It's a powerful thing. And a moment of community can fill us and encourage us, but it's not a lasting joy. Caring for one another is not the end that we're called to. Having friends is not the end that we're called to. It's meaningful and it's powerful, but it's not our purpose by itself. Community is a meaningful and important thing. It's a part of who we were made to be, but it was always meant to be a secondary thing, something that points us to our actual purpose. If I have community and nothing else, I still will generally feel a lack in some way. You see, community is meant to point us back to worshiping, loving, and enjoying God. That's what it's meant for. That's its purpose because that's our purpose. We are meant to be in community, but community is not the end goal of our existence. Loving and being loved by God is. That's why gathering with God's people is so unique because it's a gathering of a group of people, a group of friends, a family uh, that is pointing one another back to Jesus, back to God. That's what's different between this gathering and hanging out with your friends after work for cocktail hour or whatever. Right. That's the distinction. They're both community and they both can be encouraging. They can even both show us about God and teach us about God in some way. But only one of them explicitly looks at you and says, look that way. Because that's the end of your existence. <laughs> that sounded weird. But look that way because that's the purpose that you were given. Right? Like that's the purpose of your life to worship and know that God. Only this gathering of people or gathering amongst God's people achieves that singular focus. And so today we're going to start this series talking about community with that idea, taking a look at how God's purpose for us is linked to our place in God's community, right? How it shows us, how our place in God's community shows us our greater purpose. And so if I was going to sum up the next few minutes in one sentence, I would put it like this. Understanding our place in God's family truly reveals God's purpose and goodness in our lives. I want you to hear that one more time. Understanding our place in God's family truly reveals God's purpose and goodness in our lives. Uh, to do this, uh, you heard Jermaine read it. We're going to be in Exodus 2, 23 through 25. And so if you would open that up with me, uh, we're going to be taking a look at that again We're going to start in 23. If you have your physical Bible, feel free to read that. Uh, It might be up on the screen. Feel free to take a look up there and check. Uh, Let's go ahead and read this. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help, uh, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the Israelites and God knew. Let's go ahead and dive in. Today, we're going to be taking a look at that text. We're going to break this text down into three points, all right? This is old school. For all traditional folks that like that traditional uh, sermon, three-point sermon, this is your jam today with me, all right? First point is going to be God calls us to community. Second point is going to be God covenants with the community. And the third point is going to be God's redemption is showcased in community, okay? So let's go ahead and dive into this first idea. It is God calls us to community, all right? In order uh, to understand these verses, we first have to understand the context that they're in. 
Okay, just working off of these by themselves doesn't really give us all of the real context that we need, right? They, they take place in a book called Exodus. And Exodus is the story of God rescuing the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. The first part of Exodus, the first few chapters, in addition to that, focuses on the story, the origin story of Moses. Who's heard of Moses before? All right, the majority of us. Let's go. All right, so, so that's the man that God would actually use to lead the people, uh, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt. And it's an amazing story. All right, it's an amazing story. I'm going to summarize it for you, but I encourage you to go to Exodus chapters 1 through 2 and to read them yourself. But the, sto- the story kind of summarized um, is that after finding shelter in Egypt several hundred years prior, uh, now the people have multiplied so much in Egypt that the pharaoh or king of Egypt has now looked at them and has grown fearful. And he's looked at them and said, now, you know, these are so many people that are part of a different kingdom in our nation that they pose a risk to us. So they inflict hard labor and begin to oppress the Hebrew people. That ultimately leads, okay, to uh, the king beginning to encourage his soldiers to kill every male born to the Hebrew people. Because remember, it's not that males were more valuable, it's that males were soldiers, And remember, the concern is what? That the Hebrews are going to uprise. So kill every male baby born. And it's into this wild, oppressive context that Moses comes in. Right? He's born and he's hidden uh, for three months. And then after that, he's put into a basket and he sailed down the river by his mother only to land in the hands of Pharaoh's own daughter. And she decides to adopt him. So from hunted slave now to a prince of Egypt, right? That is Moses' story. But the Bible says that he grows up. And if you've ever seen the prince of Egypt, it's a little bit deceitful because the prince of Egypt makes it seem like he has no idea that he's a Hebrew man. But the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us that. In fact, it says when he grows up, he decides to go in back into his own people. And so he sees and understands, I'm Hebrew, and as he gets older, he's like, I want to go join them. And and as he joins them, he sees the oppressive nature of how Egyptian soldiers and slave masters treat the Hebrews. And so he actually intervenes one day, resulting in him killing one of the soldiers. And in this moment, he's scared, and so he flees for his life, and he finds himself in an area called Midian, east of Egypt. He settles down there. He even marries a woman, and he takes up work as a shepherd. Just to give you a little context, right? Look at verse 21 where it says, Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son uh, whom he named uh, Gershom. He said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. So he really settles down, makes a family, takes up work. It's probably a pretty nice life, especially compared to the prison or possibly death sentence he had waiting for him in Egypt at the time. Yet it's in the midst of that security that God steps in. When we work our way through chapter three, that God steps in with the burning bush. Y'all kind of heard of that. Right. And decides to look at Moses and say, hey, man, I need you to get back to Egypt. It's in the middle of that security that that something else is going on. Right. Where, Where Moses can't see where God is hearing the cries of people. And he's saying, I got you. Don't worry about it. 
And he chooses this man, Moses, to go back and step into the mess. Sorry, y'all. Internet issue here. Now, this is the idea that I want to communicate to you. Uh, don't just try to resist that long pause right there. All right. Another long pause. had you like, what's going on? What's going on? We're talking about Jesus. So alone back in, in the midst of that security, right? Like he is called back into the mess of Egypt, what he just felt, what he just felt safe in. And this is where Moses finds himself in the chapter that we're working on. All right. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt this? It's easy to look now. What I'm not asking is, you ever felt the heroics of like killing someone that was oppressing someone else and running? I'm not talking if you've ever been in a movie. I'm talking about have you ever felt the experience of feeling like you just got off of work, you just finished with your family, you just got through doing a house project, you just got through doing something, you feel accomplished, you settle in, you turn on Netflix, and then something or someone says, Can I have a little bit more of you? You get a text from someone saying something like, hey, can, can, uh, and if you have kids, I definitely know that that happens to you all the time, but I'm talking about maybe even beyond children. Someone asks you if they can, they can talk. And here's the thing. Can I talk? We're complex human beings. So can I talk isn't always can I talk. Right. Oftentimes we as people, right, we, we, we have a, a bit of a difficulty asking for for help or asking to to share our emotions. So can I talk doesn't always come in that specific phrase. Right. Sometimes it comes in the form of like, hey, you watching the game tonight. Right. Sometimes it, it, it comes in the form of someone saying, hey, man, you want to grab a lunch or dinner or something? It comes in the form of someone texting me like, hey, how you doing? Now, side note, if that's you, I want to lovingly encourage you. Next time you need help, you should just text them and be like, yo, I'm hurting and I need help. No one's going to judge you for that. No one's going to look at you differently for that. You're safe, especially amongst the people that are in this room, the people that make up this community. You're safe to just say, hey, I need some help right now. But in the event that you don't and you still shoot off that, hey, what you doing for lunch today? Right? I'm not saying anybody that asks for lunch or anything like that is exactly what they're saying. But, man, sometimes when we're hurting, it can come off like that, right? And we're a little scared to be that vulnerable. Have you ever been in that situation, right, where you settle down and then someone invites you in to something more? But here's the thing. It's in those moments that God seems to be calling us from settled and secure into uncomfortable and maybe inconvenient. That he's not just calling us to go back into the field, right? But rather he's calling us into purpose. He's calling us into gifts. He's calling us into calling. Friends, here's the thing. When you look at, at the context of community, right, purpose is found amongst people. Purpose is found amongst people, right? We could, we could riddle off this preacher language all day, right? We could say gifts are found in gathering, and we could say calling is found in community. I could put the C in the C and, and the P in the P all day, but the point is that you find the things that you're good at. You find the way that God desires to use you, not by yourself and not when you're settled in, but rather when you're amongst people and your gifts are not just accessories, but they're needed, 
You see, God calls you to a people. God calls you to community because it's through the context of community that he teaches you about you. He teaches you about how he made you, what he gifted you in, how he designed you. Right? Maybe you have an amazing gift to encourage people, but if there's no one for you to encourage, then what's the point? Maybe he gifted you with these abilities to shepherd and love people and help them feel seen. But if you never are in a position to see people, then what did it matter? Right? Maybe you're in a position uh, to help other people see and find what they're good at. But if you're never in the same room with people that are asking the question, fam, I don't know what I'm doing in life, then you will never know that God gave you as a gift to the people around you to help them see, yo, maybe he wants you to do this. You know what? You're really good at that. Hey, I I know that you're struggling, but man, I want to point you back to, to the gospel and to God, right? You see, friends, God calls us to community. He calls us to community because it's in the context of community that you understand and learn how he's made you, the gifts that he's given to you. If we desire to find the, the calling, right, of our life, if we desire to find that space where we know when we go to sleep at night, like, yo, I am made to do this, and I feel like I have done what I was called and, and needed to do today, when you desire that satisfaction, that doesn't come outside of community. It arrives in community as God reveals how he's gifted you. It's the nature of our existence for us to be in community, right? We were made to be in community, and it's in community that we begin to understand a bit about who we are. And here's the reason for that. Okay, the reason for that is that God covenants with a community. God doesn't just call us to community, but he calls us to community because God covenants with community. Check out Exodus 2, uh, verse 24. Verse 24 says, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, before we jump in, we need to understand what a covenant is, right? A covenant, according to the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, a covenant is an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions. That, that agreement between these parties, right, to say, hey, I, I will do this or I won't do this. And the other side says, well, I will do this or I won't do this. And the covenant, the agreement that God makes, according to Exodus chapter 2, is with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, years prior to when this text was written, God had made a covenant. He'd made an agreement with a man named Abraham. Right, and he told Abraham that through him he was going to multiply a people, a people that would bring joy and salvation to the world. And that covenant passed down to his son Isaac, and that covenant passed down to his son Jacob. And while the individual names, right, are present, these names of Abraham, these names of Isaac, the name Jacob, these names aren't just singular names, but they represent a people. Don't think that when God is talking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's just saying, yeah, you by yourself. No, you see, he's picking out individuals. These individuals represent a community. When God promises himself 
to something, when God vows to give himself to something, when God vows to bless something, he vows himself, he promises and joins himself not to a single person, but rather to a community of people. That's what God does. And I don't want to shatter your brain because I'm not saying that God doesn't look at you and he's like, I love you. He's not saying like, he definitely loves you. But when God promises himself to someone, he promises himself to a community of people, to, to a community. He brings together, right, rather than just loving or saving or promising himself to individuals, he creates for himself a people made up of individuals. And you may not have heard why that's so important, but that means that built in to the very people of God is the idea of diversity. Because if God only covenanted and gave himself to one single person, then that person would be the standard bearer of everything that you should be. There would be a certain type of clothes we should wear, a certain type of language that we should speak with, or a certain type of, 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 of culture that we should subscribe to. But rather, because God has devout, devoted himself in covenant to a community, he creates a room and a space where every single person can find a home. Friend, because God covenants himself to community, you can sit there assured that there is a place for you in God's family. You can be assured of that. You can be assured that the type of, of clothes you wear, the way you talk, the type of TV shows that you watch, and hear me, I know some of y'all watch some pretty lame shows. No, I'm just playing. But right, that you can be assured that everything that makes you you is welcomed within the community of God because it's not meant for a single person. It's meant for a people, a group of people. A collection of people that are individuals but yet come together in every age from every century to make this collective group that shows God's beauty, grace, and mercy. Right? That's what we're a part of. And hear me. What I'm not saying is that there won't be godliness to grow in. There will 100% be godliness to grow in. There will 100% be moments that we are called to change actions and behaviors and attitudes and thought processes. But there will never be a moment where God looks at any one of us and says, you know, just your overall vibe is not meant for me. That's the beauty of this idea. God covenants himself, covenants himself. Right? He, he, he makes agreement. He devotes himself and promises himself, not to a specific person, but rather to people. And yes, he does it maybe through representatives. Right? Abraham is a representative, and Isaac is a representative, and Jacob is a representative. But these individuals are representatives of the people that he has devoted himself to. This covenant is to Abraham, but it's really to Abraham's people. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Covenants, covenants, all right, they, they sometimes aren't always just one-sided. Sometimes they have contingencies. Everybody say contingencies. That was weak, so let's say it again. Everybody say contingencies. I'm fixing to go super pastoral, old school, and be like, look to your neighbor and say contingencies. I wasn't joking. I'm saying look to your neighbor and say contingencies. 
Okay, now, the person that you ignored, look to him and say covenant. All right, now I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. Thankfully, we're all spaced out, so that wasn't that good of a joke here. My bad. All right, but here we go. Covenants have contingencies, oftentimes, meaning they're not one-sided oftentimes, but they uh, seem to have requirements on both sides. And when we're introduced to this covenant, the covenant of Abraham, in Genesis 12, it seems that God just offers himself to Abraham and says, hey, what? I'm going to bless your descendants and your offspring. And we're going to make a big people, and that people's going to bless the world. But in Genesis 22, we learned that Abraham's covenant also has a requirement of him. It calls for his obedience. And so, yes, it's for a people. Covenants are for people. But there's a requirement oftentimes from the people or from the representative of that covenant. And so the blessing of Abraham goes down and is passed down to his kids and to all his people, right? But so is the requirement of that covenant. Do you get what I'm saying? If God looked at Abraham and said, hey, I need you to be obedient. Then the blessings of those things come down. But then when the the requirement to say, hey, that means God's people, I need you to be obedient. And that's where it gets a little tricky, right? Because now not only do I have to worry about myself, but now I got to look at this representative I have and go, are you okay? Like, are you messing up or are you straight? Because if you're not straight and I'm straight, then we're still in trouble here. So I, I need to figure out quick if everybody's on the same page. But that's what, make this, that's what makes this last idea so beautiful, right? Is that one, God calls us to community. Why? Because God covenants himself to a community. But here's the thing. God's redemption is showcased in a community. Why does he call us to community? Why does he covenant himself to community? Because God redemp- God's redemption is showcased in the context of community. Take a last look at chapter 2, verse 24. It says, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. This idea of God remembering his covenant, what does that mean? Does it mean that God, like, looked around and was like, oh, man, yeah, I forgot about y'all, my bad, right? No, 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 no. This word remember in the original Hebrew is actually a word that, that is like a, a covenantal term. It's a term that was actually used in reference to covenants, and, and it expressed a sense of, of fulfillment. Uh, this man named Tim Chester in his, in his um, commentary on Exodus says it like this. Remembering is a covenantal term. It means deciding to act or in, to act in order to fulfill a covenant. It's not that the promise to Abraham had somehow slipped God's mind. It's not that he got distracted by other things. Remembering means God is about to take the next step in fulfillment of his promises. <clears throat> you see, when God says, I remember you, In this text, what he's saying is the covenant that I made with you, whether you have failed or you have not, I will live up to my end of the bargain. All the echoes and all of the screams and all of the unique pain that you experience, all of the things that are yours and only yours there in Egypt, my people, I have promised that I am going to fulfill my end and I'm going to redeem and rescue you. 
You see the beautiful idea of God working in covenants and therefore redeeming through covenants is that just like uh, diversity is built in, redemption at every level is built in as well. When God remembers the groanings of the people, of the Hebrew people in Egypt, he remembers every single unique uh, uh, um, individual need that's present. There is the collective hurting and pain that the Hebrew people are experiencing. And each individual within that community is experiencing their own form of pain. And when God tells uh, Moses and when God writes these words to say, and I remembered them, he doesn't just simply say, I remembered, I'm going to rescue you. But rather, I see every corporate pain that you have. But I also see and understand every individual pain that you have. There's a collection of redemption here that I'm going to work out into your group collectively, everyone. But there is a specific redemption I'm going to work out in you as the one that I'm coming to save, a part of the community that I'm making. Right, God's redemption is showcased because it shows us as we look around a diverse room and we see the grace and the goodness and the redemption of God throughout a room with so many different people from so many different backgrounds, from so many different experiences. It shows us that God's redemption, his grace, his love doesn't have barriers. There's no bounds to it. There's not one type of person that can receive God's grace, but another one's a little too far gone to receive it. Right, every person from every background, from every experience of every color can come get this grace. That's the beauty of it. Right, God's redemption is showcased through the context of community because a community comes together to show the goodness of God reached me even when I was over there and you were over here and that person was over yonder and they were down by the creek bed, but it didn't matter. Because God's grace in the context of this community came down and grabbed me no matter where I was. God's grace, his redemption is showcased. It's showcased. It's given proper treatment, proper centerpiece in the context of community. But this is the issue with this last point is that oftentimes what happens is what God has aimed to make a corporate, a communal faith and life in our day as a 21st century Austinite can become an individual faith and an individual walk. And then the narrative of our redemption is no longer a community of redemption, but a single narrative of redemption. God's redemption is no longer placed uh, in, in the space in the middle of a community, but rather it's placed in the middle of my life and what God has done for me and my personal relationship with God and with Jesus. But here's the issue here. When we divorce ourselves from God's people, from God's community, from God's family, and the narrative of his redemption in that community, the narrative of our lives moves from God's redemption to our redemption. It's only about our redemption. And hear me, when the narrative of our lives is about my redemption, we look at someone else's story as competition and not testimony. I want you to hear what I said again. When our narrative, when the story we're telling ourselves is about our redemption and not our redemption, other people's story becomes competition instead of testimony. 
Right? Instead of it being an encouragement, it becomes a discouragement. When I see that someone else's hope got answered, someone else's hope got fulfilled, my first response becomes, how come my hope ain't been fulfilled? How come I haven't got what I have been spending so much time feeling like I need? Right? When we see someone else's prayer request get answered, we say, what about my prayer request? I've been praying to God for a long time about this and about that. Right? When I see someone else's joy filled up, when I see someone else's heartbreak turned over, and the narrative of my life is about my redemption and not our redemption, I look at their story and go, how come I can't have that? Why ain't you done me like that, God? This is my story. But hear me, when we understand that we are not a person saved by God, friend, but we are a people that together have been saved by God, then I can look at my circumstances no matter where I am and no matter where anyone else is and say he is with us. He won't fail us. Right? He has promised us. I may not have it in my life right now, but look at my brother. Look at my sister. Right? Like, like I know that I may be hurting right now, but his redemption is certain because he has promised himself to us. Right? Are, are this people, he has given himself for us. He has tied himself to us. And men, my redemption is linked up into our redemption. He can't lie. That means that if it's true in their life, it'll be true in my life. And it may not be now. It may be in eternity. I may not see it with my earthly eyes. But because I am a part of the community of God, I can be assured that the, the hope that I long for will one day be met because he is going to redeem completely this people. That's the hope you have when you understand your role in the community of God. It's not just about you, friend. And I say that with all love and respect. But hear me, when it's not just about you, then it opens up to see how broad and how big this God actually is. That he would see the fullness of your life and understand that I'm working across the board to showcase how good and how beautiful and how gracious and how strong I am. Because I'm not just working in your life, I'm working in her life and I'm working in his life. And I promise you that anything you long for, I will meet. Right? That's the beauty of understanding that, man, God's greatness, his grace, his redemption is showcased in community. It's showcased in community. And there's, there's no community that what I'm saying is more true of than the community we sit in right now. Before I go there, I look down. Like I said, y'all, y'all ain't seeing my notes. It's just a conglomeration of text at this point because the internet service ain't working. But I do want to point out, that does not mean there won't be hardships. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Rather, I'm saying that even through the hardships, through the hope and the testimony we have in Christ's forgiveness and what he's done for us right then, we have hope in the midst of hardships. We can look at the people next to us. We can look at the people across from us. We can look at our community. We can look at, outside at other churches. We can look at the testimony of, of, of Christians, Christians and Christianity across the world and go, I have hope. That's what I'm saying. And again, there's no place that that idea is more true than in this group of people, than in this group of people, you and me. Why? Well, because this people is the ultimate, this people right here, you and me, is the ultimate retelling of this story. You get what I'm saying? 
because there would be another one called out of his peaceful and luscious and calm and peaceful environment in order to enter the brokenness of another people. Except he wouldn't come to a people enslaved by a nation. He would come to nations enslaved by sin. And he would deliver and rescue his people as well, but, but not by raining down plagues on sinful humans the way God did and the way Moses did in this text, but rather by allowing the sinful plagues meant for humans to rain down on him so that through him he could build a new people, a, a new people, a new people who now were promised to be brought back to what makes us whole God himself. Right, And that would come uh, together from every tribe and every nation and every color and every background. See, friend, everything that I've been saying reaches its climax and its fulfillment right here in this room. Because of what Christ has done in your life and in my life, this room right here stands with the hope of every single covenant promise of God because our specific covenant representative did not fail. He didn't fall short. Right, the covenant that we have entered into with God is one that is now mitigated and, and, and kind of stepped into by, the, by God himself. To enter in and to live a life that we couldn't live, right? To die in our place for the punishments and the, 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 uh, the sin that we deserved. Yet now we have been given the full promise of every covenant because we have now been joined back to God through this Jesus and through this covenant. Friend, this whole talk, was meant to show us what you have available to you in this community right now, today. Right, right. Everything that I've said doesn't lack or or you're not excluded, right? Why? Because Jesus has made sure you have access to it right now. There's no having to go fix yourself outside. There's no having to, to reach the contingency and then come back in to make sure you're good to get this or you're good to get that. On your worst day, the hope that you long for is still promised to you through the covenant that he's made with you as his people through Jesus. That's the beauty of what we stand in right now. That when God said to the Hebrew people, I remember you, I know and I see you. He looks at us the same way today, but instead of pointing and sending Moses, he points back to the cross where his very son took our judgment so that we could enter into the fullness of his grace and his promises. Friend, this community that you're with is the living testimony that everything your heart longs for, the the emptiness that you have wrestled with, the sadness that you experience, the struggles that you have will have their answer in Jesus. And the testimony of that truth sits among you right now. That's the beauty of what we're doing here. That's the beauty of why we gather. That's the beauty of why we worship. Because what's true of the hope and grace and redemption in these people's lives and in the ones that aren't here and the ones that are to come, right, that's true of your life. And the hope that's and the grace and the promise that has happened in your life Right, is a living testimony of what God's goodness will one day accomplish in someone else's life. And maybe they need to see that. I don't want to sit here and act like it's just about what you're going to receive, because it's not. It's also about what your life, the testimony of God's goodness and grace in your life, what it means to those that need to be reminded of God's goodness and grace in theirs. That's what this community is meant for. 
right? It's meant to come together to worship God, to, to enjoy him, to be enjoyed by him, to love him, and to be loved by him. But in order to, to encourage one another and build up one another and point each other back to the truth that God, for, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's the truth we come to remind ourselves of every Sunday. That's the truth that we get to come and remind ourselves of every Wednesday and Thursday and Tuesday. It's the truth that you get to be reminded of when you decide to go and hang out with somebody from this community of people, right, and say, yo, let's just kick it at the park or let's go and have lunch. The story of their redemption, not on Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday, but every second of their life is a testimony of God's goodness that you can take hold and say, that hope is mine, Right? That's the beauty of what this is. That's the beauty of community. It's a part of why God covenants and puts himself into community. And so today, I want to simply ask, uh, end by simply asking you where, do you, where do you insert yourself into community? It doesn't always happen natural. Like I said, this is a rhythm that we have to insert ourselves back into as much as like kind of hanging out with friends or like going back to restaurants is going to be a rhythm you have to insert yourself into. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had several moments, right, where I've been like, yo, let's go to like, or I thought to myself like, man, I could really use like a hot dotty burger. And then I'm like, oh, too bad I can't go. Then I'm like, yeah, I can go, right? Like, so there's that moment where I, I get tricked into thinking, no, I, I can't do this thing. And then I have to insert myself back into it and say, no, I can do that thing. Where are you reinserting this idea of intentional Christian community back into your life? Right? When there's that space where you're going, oh, I, wanna, I wish I could just hang out with this person. Then you're like, oh, I kind of can't. And then you think like, oh, I, I kind of can. Right? Then when are you going, all right, hey, well, then let me hit this person and say, hey, can I just, can we go to lunch? <laughs> Which doesn't have to mean uh, I have problems, I need help. But if it does, that's fine too. Right? How are you reinserting yourself back into this rhythm? Uh, as we work through the next few weeks, we're going to be set in pace, thinking through what that rhythm is going to do, what it's for, the purpose of it, how it blesses us, and how we really engage in it. But today, I want to leave us with that thought. Daniel, if you could come up and start getting, uh, start getting ready to work. Um, right, leave us with that thought. How community is linked to, to our purpose, because community points us back to an ever-loving God that we are called to worship and enjoy. And so right now, I want to ask us to bow your head to prayer with me as we pray and put this time into God's hands, but also pray as we begin the process of reinserting ourselves into this idea of community, uh, focusing on it over the next few weeks. Father, uh, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you, God, that the, the goodness that we see throughout the Bible, on pages and pages where we see your grace and your mercy and your kindness to people that overwhelmingly don't deserve it, because of the beauty of Jesus' work, we now call that hope our own. We now call that hope ours. Father, as we come together, let us look at the lives of the people around us and be reminded of that truth. Let us see the stories of people coming to faith years and years and years ago and people coming to faith just recently, right? Let us see how the Lord has worked in people to free them of, of, of hardship and, and, and chains that have taken years and then see the people who have broken free of, of sin and temptation in instant. Let us look at the, the totality of stories that we get to find in this community of faith and allow us to use them and see them as a testimony of the hope that is ours through Jesus. 
Allow us to be moved to worship you, Father, as we reinsert ourselves back into community, seeing testimonies of your goodness in the lives of those around us. Uh, bless these next few weeks as we go into uh, this time of, of thinking through uh, the rhythm of community and bless it as we seek you uh, with the whole of our lives, including uh, in the context of community. We love you. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.